Aloha, you are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. It's been a month. That means it's time to unveil Big Board 3.0. This is my latest rankings of prospects. This is not a mock draft. I'm not trying to pair prospects next to teams. This is after talking to a number of NBA execs and scouts about how they see the draft up to this point. I think this is a really good time to actually do another big board. It's right before March Madness where we'll see some stock again start to shift one one direction or the other based off big NCAA tournament performances. And I, I always sort of like this big board because I actually think that a lot of times the March Madness bumps or devaluation that prospects get is actually sometimes a, a, a false flag. It, it it causes teams to think about prospects in ways based off one or two big performances that maybe belie what they've seen all year. And so in many ways, I think this is going to be the, the last pure big board before March Madness starts to affect things and then obviously workouts and a number of other things like that. Now, for realistic purposes of where players are going to go in the draft, that's really helpful. But as far as pure scouting prospects, I I sort of think we're there. And one of the most interesting things about this draft, I've been talking about this a lot on my podcast the last few weeks, is that there's a consensus top five guys that are considered tier one type prospects, elite prospects. This may be the loaded most loaded front end of a draft that I've seen in a really long time. And then from picks like 6 to 15, 6 to 20, things are really all over the place. And as you talk to different NBA teams, they have really dramatic different orders of those guys. And part of that reflects a a drop in tiers. And part of it just reflects that at this point, maybe the scouting handle on a lot of these prospects are they have they do some really intriguing things but they also have some scary things as well and and we'll sort of note that uh, going forward but we're going to launch this uh with the number 1 guy uh in the draft he's been number 1 on our big board uh, since big board 1.0 and that's Cade Cunningham the wing uh, out of Oklahoma State, who has this elite court vision. He's got ball handling. He's got size. He's six seven. He's long, uh, and man, he really fills up the stat sheet. and And teams continue to refer to him as the most complete player in the draft. You know, with that elite size and feel for the game, does everything on both ends of the floor. I think a lot of teams were concerned about how he was going to shoot the basketball in college. That was definitely one of the big question marks for him. And going into recording this podcast, Cade Cunningham's numbers are at uh, 42.5% from three uh, in his first 22 games of the season, which is actually really excellent, Mark. Uh, he actually projects, at this case, as one of the best shooters in the draft. And that's on nearly five uh, attempts a game. And so something that Cade Cunningham, I think, has been really surprising as a pro. If there's one negative as you look at his sort of statistical outliers, it's going to be turnovers in the assist-to-turnover ratio. And it is it is an interesting red flag. If you want to knock Cade Cunningham, I think this is where you do it. He averages three and a half assists a game, which is low for a player that we're talking about elite, elite feel for the game and can see the floor and, and makes prospects better around him. And then 4.4 turnovers a game, which is a, a really high number in a guy that we're considering for the number one uh, pick in the draft. Uh, that's That's a really interesting and significant question mark that doesn't just line up with what you see on the floor where you you see his feel for the game and then you sort of look at those numbers and he's been careless with the basketball and and you know let's be honest like his teammates have overperformed this season but it's not like he's playing for Gonzaga right now and he has a lot of weapons uh, that he can pass the ball to where he can defer more uh, and that they're going to convert those passes into actual points and so I think that it's a minor concern if it was if you were going to have a concern about Cunningham I think it would be that and then maybe his lateral quickness would be the two things that would stand out to me but he's He's moved into the, I don't want to say he's the consensus number one guy, but I think in the majority of NBA teams front office right now, if they were to get the number one pick in the draft, it would be Cade Cunningham. I think he is the safest pick, um, if you will, um, in this draft. At number two, he's been number two for a while. Uh, It's Evan Mobley. Uh, He was number two in our our last big board uh, 2.0. And a, a guy that has just 
had a really stellar season. I think he's actually impressed teams, uh, surprised teams uh, that wondered a little bit whether he was going to be soft, whether he was going to be motivated or not. Uh, you're talking about an extremely skilled big man uh, who can score the basketball in just about every way imaginable. He can stretch the floor. He can take his guy off the dribble. He can score in the paint. Uh, and he's been a very solid rebounder uh, for uh, uh, for USC. And I think the one area that is probably the, the most exciting to teams is about the, the shot blocking and averaging nearly um, three blocks per game. Uh, and so you have this Chris Bosch-esque type of versatile forward who does one thing that Chris Bosch didn't, didn't actually really do, which is become a great rim protector. He needs to get stronger, um, absolutely. Uh, he projects as a guy who can stretch the floor, uh, but the truth is he hasn't really shot a lot of threes, and they've gone in at a you know somewhat unimpressive 29%. Uh, that's based off of basically taking about one one three a game. So then you go to his free throws. He's shooting about 70% from the free throw line in the first 27 games uh, for USC. Uh, that's that's not ideally where you want as you project him out um, as a shooter. Uh, I think the thing that's most intriguing about him is when he can catch the ball at the top of the key and actually create for himself and others off the dribble. You don't see a lot of seven-footers um, that can do that or move with the fluidity uh, that Evan Mobley does. I think he's just the perfect modern NBA big. There aren't a lot of intriguing bigs in this draft, and I know John Hollinger and others may say, okay, we're going to devalue bigs, but it is what some teams need, and I think Mobley is hands down going to be that guy. At number three, Jalen Suggs. And this is where I think you start to get a lot of debate between Suggs, uh, between Jalen Green, between Jonathan Kaminga, who's number three, and, and frankly, for some teams, who's number two. And Suggs, to me, is the next sort of sure thing uh, in the draft, his athleticism, his toughness, his ability to score from anywhere on the floor, his leadership, uh, the competitiveness with which he plays the game. Uh, all of this signals alpha guard that can take over games late in the game and and just be special. Uh, that's that's the term that I hear the most from scouts is he, he's special. It's It's something that he brings to the game that energizes his teammates, uh, that has that elusive ability that not very many players have to be able to just absolutely take over a ball game when you need to, but then fit into the background and fit into a system um, when he needs to. He's coming off a couple of uh, really big games uh, lately. There has been some concerns. He, he started shooting the ball pretty well, and, and then he started to drop off you know, fairly considerably midseason. And the concerns that were there before the season began about his jump shot began to creep back up. He's actually shot the ball pretty well of late uh, in the Western Conference uh, tournament. Uh, he ended up shooting five for 10 or 50% from three, including four big threes against BYU, two in the last um, minute of the game that sort of sealed the deal uh, for Gonzaga. And, you know, when you look at his statistical strengths, he's an excellent rebounder uh, for a guy his size. His, his defensive rating is, is terrific. Uh, he, he shoots a great field goal percentage for a guard uh, from the field. Is he a pure point guard? I, you know, I don't know. I think he's more of a combo guard, but he's averaging, you know, 4.5 assists a game. Uh, he is going to be the guy with the high motor that's just going to be super impactful on whatever team drafts him and even though I don't think he has the athletic upside of Green and Kaminga and, and really have no idea what he would necessarily look like in the G League, to me, there's, there's some players that just have an it about them. Uh, there's just something that they bring to the game that makes them pop whenever they're on the floor. That is Jalen Suggs. Uh, he stays at three, though in all fairness, there are a number of teams that um, have him at four or five and and a couple of teams that actually have him uh at, at two as well and so you know interesting to see where he's at at number four we're going to have a, a slight a slight shift we're going to flip-flop and have Jalen green move to four based off of a really strong finishing um, in the g league for him he got off to a slower start and that started the jonathan kaminga train as kaminga is the best prospect on this g league ignite team but as the season went on I think that it was green that really starts to shine for the for the G League Ignite in a way and and Kaminga fades a little bit and there's some injuries and he doesn't play the last couple of games but when you look at when you look at Jalen Green you're looking at the guy who probably ends up 
being the best scorer in this draft, a guy who could potentially average 25 to 30 points a game uh, in an NBA season. He, it's just so natural for him. He, he showed a, a pretty solid uh, shooting range. Uh, he averaged almost six threes a game, shot 36.5% from three. It's not like perfect, but it's it, it was a good number. He also shot 83% from the three throw line, though I think one of the stats that I, you know, I would point out is his free throw rate um, was a little bit uh, disappointing. He only got to the, the free throw line really a couple times a game. And for a guy who's as athletic as Jalen Green is, if scouts have a knock on him, it was why he didn't attack the basket more because he certainly has great finishing abilities when he gets above the rim. I definitely think that one of the issues for him is that he's going to have to get physically stronger. While he's an elite athlete, uh, he really needs about another 15 to 20 pounds of muscle. He's not built like uh, Anthony Edwards is. Even if they're similar athletes and they have similar games, uh, that the stature, the way he's built, uh, is different, and that's going to be a weakness early on. And And he's going to have to show... Uh, like Anthony Edwards need to show that he's going to have a commitment on the defensive side. But if you're talking about the player that has the most star potential, uh, the guy that's going to sell tennis shoes, uh, the guy that is going to even invoke the specter as Tony Jones did on our last podcast to uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, it's Jalen Green right now. I think he is going to be a special, special score in the league. And where he ultimately ends in this draft and in sort of the pantheon of NBA players is going to be about how he develops the rest uh, of his game. That leaves us with Jonathan Kaminga at five, which I think is one of the bigger projects in the draft. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. He's still not even 18 and a half years old. Um, he'll be 18 on draft night. Uh, and he starts off with a bang. Uh, for the G League Ignite uh, in a way that got teams really excited about what he could be uh, as this big wing forward who can defend multiple positions, is a great athlete, uh, was showing uh, some even some abilities at you know handling the basketball, making good reads and what have you. And, you know, some of that began to wane uh, as the season uh, went down. Uh, You know, if you look at, if you kind of look at his statistical profile from the G League, the things that probably stand out the best are that he was a pretty good rebounder uh, and that despite some people saying that he lacked uh, a great sort of feel for for passing, he averaged, you know, a decent, uh, almost, you know, three three assists a game uh, and, you know, had a positive assist to turnover ratio. If you look on the on the downside, uh, you know he struggled shooting the basketball. He only ended up shooting about twenty five percent from three. His free throw rate wasn't great either at sixty two point five percent, and he's definitely in those thirteen games. You can see that he's a raw prospect. All the physical tools are there for Kaminga to be a potential star, but the question I think for him is going to be how much is he going to develop, and how committed is he. Uh, to developing. You know, he bounced around a lot in high school. I don't think you can necessarily hold that against him. Uh, but I think some teams were a little disappointed that he he shut it down a little bit early in the G League. Now, now me personally, I look at that and say, look, that's a smart business move. If he's got any sort of uh, potential for injury, he, he's done enough in the G League to be a top five pick at this point. Um, why risk it? I think But for some of the older school scouts that really want to see you just go out and grind it out and compete every night to pull a Jalen Suggs and limp out on that court and play injured if you have to to win, um, that was a little bit discouraging. But Kaminga, to me, uh, is is the guy with the rawest uh, a talent of the group, but also is probably the upside guy uh, in this draft of these fives. The guy that, like, if he really hit, uh, could hit hit really big. And there are some teams that have him, you know, at at three uh, instead of five. And again, you're going to see a lot of variability. But I think the one thing that is is a consensus among teams is that these five players: uh, Cunningham, Mobley. Suggs, Green, Kaminga are all worthy of the number one pick, are all tier one type prospects in this draft, and that anybody that's drafting in the top five right now is getting a player that could be potentially a player that you can build your franchise around, which is, which is really awesome. You can't really say that uh, in, in most drafts. Uh, when we come back, we are going to do picks six through 15. And this is the, this is the part of the draft where it's kind of crazy to put together a big board. I'm I'm not sure from day to day where these guys are going to end because it's so variable depending on the different teams. But I've done my best to try to 
find some consensus there. Uh, I've had to put my thumb on the scale on a number of uh, a number of cases to get there. But when we come back, we'll discuss picks six through fifteen. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, be better? There is, and if you have ten minutes, Headspace can change your life. Headspace is the daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions that members can swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I've been using Headspace for years personally. It helps me to focus, helps me to wind down uh, at the end of the day, and helps me keep a perspective, and that's what mindfulness is all about. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 60,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. You deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA. That's headspace.com slash locked on NBA for a free one month trial with access to Headspace full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal being offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. I want to talk about our new sponsor, rockauto.com. It's a family business. It's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. And if you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And we are back talking 2020 NBA Big Board 3.0, my latest big board. This has been a really easy in some ways to put together the top five, though you can jostle a little bit about uh, order between Mobley and Suggs and, and Green and Kaminga. And man, it got hard uh, after that. There is so much variability that's going to sort of work into the system now. And, you know, I did my best to, to, to try to figure it out. And, and I'll just put the caveats in and put draft ranges for a lot of these guys because I think, you know, interestingly enough, some of the, some of the draft ranges are, like, like, like pretty wild. At number six, it's Keon Johnson, uh, the freshman shooting guard out of Tennessee, uh, who really gets it done on the defensive end. That's going to be his calling card when he gets to the next level. Offensively, he's been a little bit shaky. He's been a guy that I think, you know, teams are going to look at. And, and wonder a little bit like Isaac Okoro, um, will his defense make up for his lack of offense right now? Uh, when you look at his statistical strengths, you know, they're all going to be on the defensive end uh, where he, uh, you know, has, has shown his ability to use his athleticism and motor 
um, to be a lockdown defender, which is which is what a lot of Tennessee players have to do anyway. But Keon Johnson has shown a real willingness to that. And then if you're going to nitpick game, you're going to look at he's shooting 27% uh, from three. Um, you're going to look at his high turnover rate. Um, he's averaging you know two and a half turnovers uh, a game. But when you adjust that. Um, for 36 minutes a game because he came off the bench for a lot of his career. It's up to 3.7 um, turnovers turnovers a game, which is a, a a little bit scary. He's another guy who is going to have to work himself into being an offensive player, but the defensive upside is so high that I think teams are looking across the board right now and saying Keon Johnson pick 6 through 12 is probably his draft range right now. Uh, at number 7, uh, a big mover uh, on our board, Franz Wagner. Uh, the freshman or sophomore uh, forward out of Michigan, uh, who is is 19 years old. He's actually the same draft age as many of the other prospects in this draft. He's 6'9", and this guy lights up the analytics boards. And one of the reasons that he has moved up the board is he has become somewhat of the consensus analytics guy. For, for front offices that rely on this, this is the guy that's the analytics guy that I think people feel comfortable taking high up in the draft because of his versatility, because of uh, just really significant uh, defensive numbers in, in steals and blocks and his ability to move his feet. And, and one thing that's been reassuring uh, of scouts of late, that in his you know, first 22 games, uh, he's He's shooting a, a fairly decent um, 39% from three. Doesn't take a lot of threes. Takes about three and a half a game. Uh, I think teams would like to see him take more. He shoots about 84% from the free throw line. Again, doesn't get to the free throw line as much as teams would want. He, he's just one of these guys that does a little bit of everything. The assist to turnover ratio uh, is interesting. He's very highly intelligent. Um, sees the floor well. Can handle the basketball. Um, and and defensively just really intriguing as a guy who might be able to guard twos, threes, and fours um, in the next level. He just moves his feet really well. And when you put together all of all of the box score stats and analytics that he lights up, and you look at his size, you look at his age, uh, and you look at him playing on one of the best teams in college basketball right now, and I think all of that points to a guy who is going to move up in the draft because they see so many statistical strengths that at, at at the very least he's going to be a productive player in the NBA and he's the type of player that given the intangibles that are there and that feel for the game uh, and the versatility that that could be a major major hit for a team if he continues to evolve and I, I think he's he's really done that this year I'm um, at Michigan again it might seem Strange that a guy that's averaging 13 points a game and six rebounds a game is the seventh pick in the draft. Uh, Begin. I think you got to go deeper and and look deeper at at what some of those stats actually tell you um, to see why teams are pretty excited about Wagner. At eight in Scotty Barnes, the Florida State freshman who's a weird player. Um, he's a kind of do everything forward, not necessarily one skill that you would consider elite, but just does a lot of things well on both sides of the basketball. Uh, a, a player that's just it's kind of funky to watch, actually. You know, the one one thing that is 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 pretty amazing is given that he's you know six nine two twenty five, his probably best statistics right now are assists and steals, and you know not typically the sort of things that you're going to see from a six nine two thirty uh, pound uh, forward right now. Um, his ability to to see the floor, to drive the break, to lead the break, um, and uh, his defense and those long arms and ability to go out there and sort of swipe and. Uh, and, and get a lot of steals are the things that are most intriguing. If you want to be disappointed in a 6'9", 230-pound uh, guy, you would look at his defensive rebounding numbers, which which aren't great, um, and his blocks, which which also aren't great. I mean, he, he functions like a point guard in his statistical strengths and not at all like a power forward, uh, though he is the size of a power forward. And so he's one of the more intriguing prospects in the draft. I sort of see him as an OKC Thunder player all the way. I'm not sure where they'll end up drafting. They may end up drafting uh, higher uh, than than Barnes goes. But get, given that they they could end up with multiple picks in the lottery, I, I somehow feel like wherever they sort of land on draft night, if they land in that six to the ten range, is probably the easiest place to sort of peg a home uh, for Scotty Barnes. And nine Moses Moody, uh, another high riser, moved up uh, several spots from Big Board 2.0. And a, a freshman shooting guard out of Arkansas that has 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 really come on uh, late in the season. I mean, he's he's been good all year, 
but I think it's just been in the past month that teams have started to think about him as as instead of a sort of uh, bubble lottery pick as a, a as a top ten uh, prospect. And you know some of the numbers that are just going to really you know stand out to you is he's an excellent rebounder uh, for a shooting guard. Um, he shoots the ball really well, averages five uh, threes attempted a game, and, and shoots nearly thirty nine percent from three. Has a really good um, free throw percentage, and actually for a guy who was sort of known. As, as a shooter that doesn't have a lot of versatility beyond that, has is, is got to the line uh, nearly six times a game. And, and lately, in some of Arkansas's uh, big wins uh, has uh, against Alabama and LSU at the end of February, he was getting like to the line 15 times a game and able to, um, to, to really uh, help uh, Arkansas that way. He's not the world's greatest athlete. He lacks sort of explosion there. Uh, that's going to limit um, his ceiling so much. But I think that the defensive numbers are intriguing enough that I think he really does project as a three and D type prospect, and at six six could play both the two uh, and the three. And and one of the things that's really interesting about him is he's also one of the younger players in the draft, still eighteen years old uh, right now, turns nineteen just uh, before the draft. As we move on to number ten, as we move on to number ten, it's Gonzaga senior Corey Kispert, who is our first senior off the board, and. I think hands down, if you talk to NBA scouts, the best shooter in this draft and is going to be drafted because that's what he does really well. He's been a big-time scorer, um, averaging 19 points a game for Gonzaga. And the number that just jumps out of the gym at you is that 44% from three where he's taking uh, nearly uh, a little over six six threes a game. He's making, making on average about three um, threes a game. Uh, and then that incredible free throw shooting percentage where he's shooting nearly 90% um, from the free throw line. Uh, you know, his numbers really for a small forward are are, are pretty good. Uh, you know, the one thing that I would say is, is maybe a weakness is in his rebounds uh, and uh, block shots for a player that's 6'7", 220. Um, those are certainly things I think that he could um, improve on, especially offensive boards. But Kispert, you're not drafting him for that. You're drafting him to be a sniper. Um, he's got a beautiful release on his jump shot. He's got size to be able to get it off. Um, I've heard uh, people you know, compare him to Joe Alexander, um, and I, I think that's certainly a, a really good um, a comparison uh, to who he might ultimately end up being in the NBA. And you think about where guys like, and he compares uh, to Joe Harris in the NBA. I think that's a good comparison for him. Uh, and that sort of role that he could play. But you think about where guys like Joe Harris typically go in the draft, it may feel a little high for him. But again, I think because so many of these prospects that we thought were going to be there among the freshmen have warts, you're seeing guys like Kispert, Book Knight, Moses Moody, who have some upside, but definitely are going to bring an NBA skill to the table moving up a bit in the draft. At number 11, on our big board, it's James Booknight, uh, the shooting guard out of UConn. And, you know, and really interesting in that at the start of the season, everybody was talking about him as a top 10 pick. Uh, he had some injuries. Uh, he doesn't play for a while. He comes back and 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 really doesn't doesn't miss a, miss a beat. He's been playing really well for UConn. Uh, the past few weeks. And, you know, when you dive into the numbers for him, obviously the scoring numbers uh, stand out. He's one of the few 20-point-a-night uh, scorers that we're going to sort of see in the draft. Um, he's got a really uh, terrific offensive rebounding numbers, uh, which is something that you don't necessarily always see in a 6'5", maybe 6'4", 190-pound guard. And uh, if you look on the other side of uh, things, he's not going to be a guy um, that you're going to be able to uh, put the ball in his hands and have him create for others. Uh, his assist-to-turnover ratio is super underwater at UConn. He's averaging 1.6 assists a game to nearly three turnovers a game, so it almost doubles. That's a definite concerning point uh, for NBA scouts. And because scouts think, he was a, think of him as a little bit undersized for his position, but the other thing uh, that's like mildly concerning is his three-point uh, sh- shooting percentage, where he's shooting 34%. He takes about five threes a game, uh, but shooting about 34%. Again, it's a little tougher with him uh, because our sample size is smaller. Uh, Book Knight's only uh, at this point played 12 games when I'm recording this podcast, and so clearly that's something where um, he could continue to improve. 
Uh, but I, I think he's a really fascinating prospect and, and somebody that you want to watch um, really closely. At number 12, it's Greg Brown, uh, the freshman forward out of Texas, who is one of the rawest prospects in this draft, but I think is the best athlete, the best run and jump uh, athlete that we have in this draft. Uh, explosive seems to be downplaying um, what this young man does when he gets near the rim. And and right now his game is is all either perimeter, three-point shot, or at the rim right now. There's almost no in-between. Uh, people can look at his assist rate, and it's uh, pretty pretty scary, I guess, is the word. I mean, there was, a, there was a while we were going where he had one assist for the season. He's up to um, 0.4 assists. Uh, which means that he's got a total of uh, six and then uh, ten, 10 assists, four of them wildly uh, coming against TCU uh, in the last regular uh, season uh, game, uh, which is which is a, a really, really surprising considering he had 10 uh, for the whole season and that, that boosted him up. He's been a, a solid uh, rebounder uh, for... Um, Texas, I think that's one thing that you can say uh, for sure. Uh, his jump shot isn't broken. Uh, he takes nearly four threes a game, shoots about 33% uh, from three, which is which is a number that you clearly want to see him improve, but he's not been afraid to take it, uh, and it, it looks like it's, it's generally going to go in. He's played out of position at Texas. I think he's more of a four um, than he's going to be uh, a three uh, at the NBA level. Uh, but at, at least you got to see him do some wing things and be able to stretch the floor a little bit. He's had some some really intriguing moments. Moments one of the most up and down prospects in this draft. You can watch him one night and say, "What in the world is Chad thinking? How's this guy even a first rounder?" And then there's nights when you catch him when all of a sudden it's a it's a wow, and, and he does something that just really you know blows blows you away. Uh, and you know one of the interesting things is some clutch free throw shooting. Um, that he's shown down the stretch recently as well, which is you know something that you don't always see in a raw uh, forward uh, like Greg Brown. And remember, on on many draft boards, uh, Patrick Williams was sort of sitting in the in the teens, the late late teens at this time of the year, um, and and really saw his stock sort of rise as we got closer to the draft. Um, we had him in the top ten uh, for most of that, but even it wasn't until draft night, the night or the day before the draft, that we moved him up. Uh, into the top five, and so, and you look at look at them, and there was a very similar sort of experience of Patrick Williams being all over the place, sometimes being good, sometimes not being so good, and I and I think that that's what you have to do with Greg Brown. Uh, what's his draft range? Six to fifteen. That's a pretty big range. Uh, it includes out of the lottery or the sixth pick in the draft. At thirteen, it's Jalen Johnson, uh, the freshman forward out of Duke, who at earlier in the season was was much higher and and the one guy that I think some teams thought might crack the top five early on because at his size uh, he has a really intriguing skill set uh, as a as a ball handler um, as a rebounder as a guy who can really push the ball um, on the break a guy that some teams are still very high on when you get a 6 nine 220 forward uh, who is going to um, rebound the ball the way um, that he rebounds it, uh, who uh, showed a really great potential on the defensive end, both in blocks and steals. You're, you're intrigued. And, and when you see, see Jalen Johnson in transition, um, it really is a sight to behold, and you can absolutely see why he could be a lottery pick in the NBA. It's when you see him in the half court that the doubts start to arise. Um, his... Jump shot, a major question mark. I know he ended the season uh, shooting, you know, 44% from three, but that was in 13 games and with just 1.4 threes a game. You look at his free throw numbers at 63%. That's a little bit more telling. The other number that I think was pretty problematic uh, for him was his turnovers. He averaged 2.5 turnovers turnovers a game. You take that out to 36 minutes, and it was about four uh, turnovers a game. That that's that's a that's a, a big red flag. He also fouled a lot, um, which was another sort of problem with him. And the offense just sort of stagnated uh, when Jalen Johnson was there handling the ball in the, in the, in the, in, when they got into the half-court sets. And so I think the question for Jalen Johnson is going to be, one, can he prove to NBA teams that he can be a consistent shooter? And what is his role going to be uh, in the half court, and is he, he, can he move from being a liability to something that's actually helpful, and not just be a guy who is strong when he's in transition? 
I think the stuff about him leaving Duke early is overblown. Just talking to NBA teams, it doesn't seem like that is going to affect him. It's definitely more questions about uh, his stock right now. So that's why he slid a bit to 13. I think his draft range is still 8 to 15. I don't think he slides much further than this. I'm in the big board, and he could definitely see be one of these reclamation projects that as we get closer to the draft starts to creep themselves back up the board. At 14, it's Sharif Cooper, the point guard, freshman out of Auburn. That's one of the most electric players in this draft. Has a lightning speed, uh, excellent scorer, can see everywhere on the floor, makes really creative, crafty passes, uh, is undersized uh, for his position. And, and is that's going to be the major issue. If he was 6'3", 6'4", right now, we would be talking about him I, I think is a you know top five, top six pick in this draft. He, he's that intriguing. Um, but when he's at 6'1", and some teams think that that's going to be closer to six foot or maybe even 5'11", that becomes more concerning, especially when you factor in that at least for those 12 games that he played at Auburn, he only shot uh, 23% from three. Took almost five threes a game, uh, but they didn't go in uh, particularly well. And that he, because of his size, has a hard time finishing over length. Um, at the rim, uh, which means that his overall field goal percentage uh, was under was under forty percent. Um, he did average a whopping eight assists a game, uh, scored twenty points a game, had had four point two uh, turnovers a game, which means he was wild. But just an electric basketball player that I I think at this point in the draft, you know this this twelve to twenty range, the risk is not nearly as high as as the reward. At 15, it's Jaden Springer, uh, the Tennessee uh, freshman guard, uh, who has just quietly crept up board, uh, the board all year. And to me, uh, just a really interesting prospect that is hard to define. He's one of the hardest guys to give a scouting report on because you, you look at his numbers and say, well, look at that. He shot 46% from three. But you look at his jump shot form and it's a little bit mechanical. And it's not like he took a ton of threes. He only took uh, a basically 1.8 threes a game uh, in his first 22 games uh, for Tennessee. And so you can't really say that he's a prolific shooter or necessarily or scorer, but he does have a knack for, uh, for scoring the basketball. He actually showed to be a pretty solid uh, rebounder uh, for a player his size and actually kind of an interesting shot blocker. Um, which is something that we didn't necessarily expect. He's young. Uh, that's got something he's got for him, uh, going for him. One of the youngest prospects um, in this draft, still uh, just a shade under 18 and a half uh, years old right now. I think that it, the question is, what is he at the next level? And you know, the answer is he's he's really a guard. He, he's not necessarily a point guard. I, I wouldn't say that about him. Uh, but could he play some point in a pinch? Absolutely. Um, he's a good scorer, but he's not the world's most explosive athlete or the most explosive scorer. He's crafty is more the word that I would use for him. If he can shoot anything like he shot in college, um, that obviously goes to help uh, his game. But I think scouts are a bit skeptical about how much he's going to be able to keep up that shooting uh, it, when he gets to the NBA. His, his free throw percentage says that he might, um, however. And so uh, Jaden Springer is there at 15. All right, that's the first 15 picks on Big Board 3.0. When we come back, we'll do picks 16 through 30. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. There are 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread, one of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for, for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot about what he puts into his system, I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. 
Use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. And we are back talking 2021 NBA Big Board 3.0. We've gone through the top 15 picks in the draft. And then I think that you'll start to see that a couple of these guys will be in the conversation, you know, for picks 10 through 15. But you start to see what I would say a little bit of a gulf here. And then maybe like the next five guys could, could potentially be in the mix. And then after that, there's another drop off uh, that, that's coming in this draft. At 16, a guy who, man, some NBA teams like really liked him. This was a guy that actually could creep up on some boards to like 10, 11. Uh, but other teams had him in the late 20s. And, and, a, and one team had him in the second round is Kai Jones, uh, the sophomore uh, center uh, forward out of Texas who brings a lot of size and mobility uh, to the table and has been sort of a trendy uh, prospect of late, a guy that just kind of keeps moving up the board. There aren't a lot of bigs in this draft. That's clearly something that he has going for him. I think the the sort of athleticism and his ability to make athletic plays is really intriguing. That steal rate from an analytics point of view is something that t- that teams will look for. Uh, but I got to say, you know, watching him and scouting him, he's he's a significant work in progress, much like uh, his teammate Greg uh, Greg Brown. Uh, he's 20 years old already. Uh, which is a little bit more concerning. And his rebounding numbers are, are especially concerning, especially his defensive rebounding numbers, and only 8.5 points a game. He, he's a project. He's a guy that you're projecting out what he could be and that you like his, his athletic ability and you like his size. But he's definitely, along with Greg Brown, one of the bigger projects in this draft, and he goes at 16. At 17, a guy that has just quietly moved up and up and up the board, Big 12 Player of the Year, Jared Butler, uh, the junior guard out of Baylor, who brings toughness, uh, versatility, is is really having a an incredible year. And I think scouts early on were questioning what position does he play. He looks like he's a little undersized uh, to be a two. Um, he plays some point guard at Baylor, but they really use a three-card backcourt, uh, especially with Davian Mitchell uh, there. And because of that, you know, what what is he really? Though he's averaging five assists a game, uh, and that number is is really great. And on a loaded Baylor team, he's still averaging 17 points a game. I think he's overall their best scorer. He shot an absolutely scintillating 44% from three on nearly six threes taken a game, uh, which is a terrific number as well. Uh, His defensive uh, numbers really stand out as well. He averages two uh, steals a game. I I think that he's not necessarily a point guard or a two guard, but he's a guard in the same way that Donovan Mitchell is just sort of a guard uh, and is going to be able to play uh, both positions. He's a good athlete. He's not a Donovan Mitchell-esque athlete. Uh, but when you look at another guy that sort of lights up the statistical um, box scores and all the different things that he contributes to his team, and you see it on, on certain games he's going to take over for Baylor, on other games he can sort of sit back and, and Baylor can still um, survive uh, without, without him dominating the game. I, I think he's one of these guys that maybe doesn't get drafted higher because you don't see a huge ceiling for him. But I think his floor is very, very high. I think uh, you're going to see him come into the league and, and make a difference right away. And the scouts that really love him, uh, that's what they say. I know that guy can play in my rotation right now and is going to be in the league for 10, 15 years. He has all of the qualities that we're looking for in a guy. And at some point, you just don't swing for the fences. You go and get that guy as opposed to using your draft pick on like a B.J. Boston or a Zaire Williams or something like that uh, instead. At 18 is his teammate. Uh, Baylor point guard, junior Devian Mitchell, who has been one of the biggest high risers, I think, in this draft. I'm, I'm not sure that he was seriously considered an NBA prospect before the season, but a guy who uh, in in many respects might be having even a better season than Butler in some ways. Uh, he, he scores less points a game. Um, he averages a few more assists a game. Uh, he's actually shooting even better uh, than Butler is from three at at nearly 47% uh, from three and, and five threes a game. And in his first 22 games, he's a guy that I think 
when you look at his size and strength and quickness and toughness, he really does. I know it's weird because they share the same last name, but he really does look like a smaller version of Donovan Mitchell. And uh, a guy that I think, because he's a little bit smaller, can't can always play at the two, which Mitchell's able to do and, and does obviously with Jazz with when Mike Conley's on the court. He's going to have to play more point guard. Uh, and, and so you start to think about maybe like a Kyle Lowry and, and how he might be able to play a bit like Kyle Lowry in the NBA. It, he's really fun to watch. Incredible toughness, incredible motor. Has just had a huge, huge season for Baylor right now. The, the biggest red flag, you know, by far uh, is the fact that He's 22 years old. Uh, he's going to be nearly 23 years old on draft. That that's going to knock him for sure. And the fact that you know he's averaging you know somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half um, free throws a game, which is surprising given his strength and toughness and and quickness. Uh, that that he isn't getting in the line more. Again, a, a prospect that a few teams have higher. They even have him in the late lottery, and some teams see him more as a late first round prospect. Uh, these these prospects in this range are going to be a little bit all over the board. At number 19, it's Isaiah Jackson, uh, the forward center freshman out of Kentucky, uh, who is a great athlete, an elite shot blocker, and has been surprising in his ability to start to show uh, some offense to his game, which wasn't there um, at the start of the season, but has has slowly started to evolve uh, for Kentucky to the point that you can start to project him more uh, on the offensive end. I mean, the big number that stands out right now is that in about 20 minutes a game, that's all he plays for Kentucky, he averages two and a half blocks a game. That averages out to about four and a half blocks a game per 36 minutes. Uh, he also has been a terrific rebounder uh, for them, nearly seven rebounds a game in just 20 minutes. Um, those are the numbers that are going to stand out uh, for him. And then I think that one of the things that um, becomes really interesting is because athleticism is a big, big issue for him, his length and athleticism, is that in the last six games uh, for Kentucky, starting February 13th and ending March 6th, uh, he scored in double figures for them. Uh, even though he's still playing something in the neighborhood of around 15 uh, minutes a night, and he's showing a more comfortable uh, ability to shoot the basketball, to try to attack uh, off the dribble a bit, he's definitely a work in progress on the on the offensive end for sure. But but showing that progression throughout the season, I think, has convinced scouts that he probably is a top 20 pick in this draft. And there are some scouts that have him, uh, one of these guys, I told you some of these guys from 15 to 20 could go higher. Uh, some teams that have him in the lottery right now. Uh, he seems a little raw for that, uh, in my mind, considering some of the other prospects that are available. But if you're swinging for upside and length, I, I think you could do worse than Isaiah Jackson. He's definitely going to have to get stronger. Um, he definitely feels a bit like a tweener at 6'10", 206. Um, he does have a long wingspan. Just an intriguing prospect, and to me, in a pretty dismal Kentucky season, um, the guy that's a bit of a highlight um, for them. At 20, it's uh, Louisville uh, sophomore point guard uh, David Johnson, uh, who slid a bit on this big board, definitely. Uh, He he started the season, and I think teams started to get uh, excited about the fact that he was shooting the basketball better. That was something um, that everybody wanted to see him do, and that we were expecting uh, him to start to cut cut down on turnovers, which... He has done, uh, to a certain extent, uh, certainly better uh, than last year. Uh, And he's proven to be a pretty good rebounder. But I think the offensive numbers have been a little bit disappointing. Uh, The fact that he can't exert uh, his will on the game the way that I think teams think he's capable of. He ends up only averaging about 12.5 points a game and can just be a complete non-factor for Louisville uh, on some nights. And so despite the physical profile that's intriguing, um, despite the fact that he has this flair for passing the basketball and, and making interesting passes, the fact that his turnover rate's high, um, that his assist rate is is not what teams think it should be, um, that his scoring and his field goal percentage is at 41% right now, have been pretty disappointing, and and he didn't finish the season strong, and and so you know struggles with Clemson, uh, struggles with uh, North Carolina, um, struggles with Duke, all of those raise some question marks about where he's going to be. He's sitting at twenty right now, um, because some teams haven't given up on him, but I definitely don't don't think that he's going to like the trajectory of his draft stock right now, and it wouldn't shock me if he ends up given how clustered we're going to see prospects here that he could slide right out of the first round. At 21, it's Usman Garuba, uh, the big center 
um, who's a rebounder, defense, good good age at 18, uh, is something that he's one of the younger prospects in this draft, which is always intriguing. I, w- I would say disappointing in that teams thought, okay, he's playing for Real Madrid. He's certainly not going to be a big impact player for them at, at just turning 19 years old. Um, and that's sort of turned out to be true. He averages about 15 minutes a game. And as you look over the statistical profile, you know, offensively points, um, his free throw percentage is just awful at 47%. Uh, he has taken some threes and tries to stretch the floor a little bit, shooting 31% from there. You know, the only numbers that like really stand out is that he gets a lot of steals for a player um, his size. And, you know, he's like, okay, um, at, at shot blocking right now. Teams that like him, and he's the first international play prospect off the board, um, like him because they see long-term potential there. They think Real Madrid will continue to develop him. I think he's the first sort of draft and stash prospect in, in this draft and why he sneaks into the first round. There's a lot of debate, by the way, about international prospects and who ends up going where on draft night. But I think that I think Garuba has the best shot or Josh Giddy out of Australia being the first international guy off the board. At 22, this is where things just get wacky. B.J. Boston, guy that we thought was a top 10 pick before the season began, really struggled uh, at Kentucky. There's no nice way to put what B.J. Boston's been through. Uh, disappointing as a scorer, disappointing as a shooter. Um, his lack of strength, just absolutely glaring. Uh, and... It, you know, overall, you know, the, the things that you could say about him is that, you know, his size and his wingspan and, and what he did in high school are intriguing enough that you can't just read everything into a rough Kentucky season. But it, it's it's rough. I mean, his he, he wasn't able to really take over games. Uh, he shot 30% from three, even though he took five threes a game. He only ended up shooting 36% from the field overall, which is really disappointing. And if there's, you know, one silver lining, uh, it's that, you know, his last regular season game against South Carolina, he maybe put on his best performance of the season with 21 points and hit six threes in that game. And that's actually what really boosted uh, his three-point percentage up to 30% right now. And and so you're a little bit have to think about, do you draft the kid in high school that you saw the upside around? and say, look, this was a tough season. He needs to develop. We'll, de- we'll develop him. And down the road, given his potential, he'll be a steal at 22. Or was this a signal that he was just overrated uh, in high school and that Boston isn't going to be that good? And I think that you can watch the game film and come to either of those co- uh, conclusions credibly. And there are NBA teams that are doing exactly that, with some teams telling me he is not a first-round pick. And I think you'd be wasting a first-round pick on him to other teams that think that he's underrated right now. And if you can pick him up in the 20s, it's a steal. At 23, it's Dyson Nix, uh, one of the best court vision floor leaders in this draft, uh, a big point guard at 6'5", 230-ish uh, pounds right now. And if there's probably been a knock on Nix, it's that, it's that weight. Uh, and how it affects his athleticism and how it uh, affects how teams are projecting him at the next level. Uh, He clearly needs to get in better condition and better shape, and and then we can evaluate him a little bit better from from an athleticism standpoint. He he also just shot the ball terribly uh, for the G League, 38% from the field, 17.5% from beyond the beyond the arc and and what you like about him is he's tough he's physical he rebounds the basketball he has a real flair for seeing the floor kind of reminds some teams of a of a young Andre Miller um, that way you know the question is in our NBA today what sort of role does Andre Miller have if you aren't going to be explosive and be able to finish at the rim and you're not able to shoot the basketball how much good is your passing uh, going to be able to to, to get you. That's the question with Knicks, which is why he starts the season by some teams considering him a top 10 prospect. And at the end, that lack of explosion, the poor conditioning, and the lack of three-point shooting makes teams wonder 
how his game is going to translate. He's obviously going to come out. I still think he's going to be drafted in the first round. Uh, but I would say overall it's been a disappointing season for him and, and a season that he probably um, could have helped uh, by getting in better shape. At 24, it's Zaire Williams, the freshman wing out of Stanford. That was another guy that was projected as a top 10 prospect on our first big board and, and one of the top freshmen coming in uh, to college basketball who, like B.J. Boston, just really struggled uh, as a basketball player at Stanford and for some of the same reasons that Boston does. He, he lacks the strength uh, and the physicality uh, to really impose himself uh, on the game. And a guy that's supposed to be really toolsy and bring a lot to the table, when you look at his statistical strengths, there's just not a lot there. Um, he gave out a few assists, but his assist-to-turnover ratio is underwater. He ends up with just 10.7 points a game, uh, shot only 29% from three. It's actually really interesting that some teams have him above B.J. Boston when, you know, statistically, I think if you look at the argument, uh, they both were terrible, but B.J. Boston was less terrible um, than Zaire Williams. And he's got he's a guy that needs to continue to add strength and needs to figure out, like, what is his game? He, he can't be a guy who can't get to finish at the rim, who can't get to the line, and can't shoot threes. Uh, you, you, there's no tools left in the toolbox for you at that point. The upside is there for a guy that's 6'8", that theoretically has these skills and why he's still on our big board at 24 and, and hasn't fallen out altogether. But I see him as a, even a little bit bigger projection um, right now than BJ Boston going forward. Wish both of those young men would go back to college for a year uh, and continue to get stronger and, and prove us all wrong. Uh, my guess is that both of them come out and are a bit disappointed uh, with their draft stock. At 25, a bit of a controversial pick here, uh, I'll be the first to admit. Matthew Mayer, the junior forward out of Baylor, that makes the third Baylor prospect uh, in our top 30, and a guy who averages about 15 minutes a game coming off the bench as a junior is not the guy that you particularly think, oh, that's going to be a guy that's going to make the first round. John Hollinger was the first to out him several weeks ago as a player that when you look beneath those numbers and look at his productivity in that time, you're going to see a very versatile big guy who can really stroke the basketball, has great size uh, for his position, and just impacts winning whenever he's out there on the court. He can be a little bit wild. His decision-making can be questionable. But he projects as this sort of big wing that NBA teams are after that can come in and be instant offense and 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 make your team better coming off the bench. And when you look at his statistical profile, you know, Mayer is much more intriguing uh, than uh, B.J. Boston uh, is at this point, or Zaire Williams. And it's not totally his fault about the number of minutes that he plays because he is on an absolutely loaded Baylor team um, right now. Will he come out? I don't know. Uh, he'll be a senior next year, uh, and, you know, it's tough, as we've learned, uh, for seniors to get ahead, though Corey Kispert uh, is, is certainly a guy that has found a way to do it. I think that he ends up in this draft. I think somebody ends up stealing him in the late first round. Um, has a you know takes a flyer on him as the sort of guy that can wing that can come in off the bench, can shoot threes, be instant offense, um, and uh, bring a lot of energy to the team off the bench. And I think that this is a perfectly acceptable place for him to go. It was really interesting when Hollinger wrote that that column. I had several, and then we did a podcast about it. I had several NBA execs like frustrated. Uh, a bit with that one because he really hadn't been appearing on on draft boards. He wasn't on ours, and and now he's out there. So I think he was one of the little secrets in the NBA that um, that John let out of the bag. Uh, of course, uh, that's not great news for Baylor, who probably was hoping that he would be back next year, and not sure he will be um, anymore. Uh, at at number twenty six, it is Josh Christopher. Uh, the shooting guard freshman out of Arizona State, who's one of the better scorers in this draft, can score from anywhere uh, on the floor, is a guy that, you know, like Boston uh, and Zaire Williams, didn't live up uh, to the hype. Uh, only ended up playing 15 games for Arizona State, averaging 14 points a game, only shot 30% from three. Uh, did a little bit better uh, from the field goal percentage. Um, you know, he, he's a he's a scorer who 
was semi-inefficient at scoring at Arizona State. But there are teams that watch him and look at what he delivers to the table and say a guy coming off the bench, uh, they think that he can shoot a little bit better than that. His free throw percentage was at 80%. Um, that's, that's a number you know worth looking at, that he could end up being a guy that could be really helpful uh, to, to a team. He hasn't played uh, in a while. Um, because of injuries and you know that will obviously be a big factor in whether he ends up in the first round uh, if he stays in the draft Uh, I think he's a really intriguing uh, prospect though I maybe not as high on him as some NBA scouts were I if this was just my own personal big board I'm not sure um, that he would um, be there at 27 it's Marcus Bagley his teammate freshman Arizona State uh, forward, uh, whose brother of Marvin Bagley of the Kings, terrific scorer, able to stretch the defense. Uh, I actually think that if you were to put these two guys together and ask, you know, which had the better season uh, at Arizona State, uh, I would lean, I, I would lean towards Bagley before uh, I would take, um, I would take uh, uh, Josh Christopher. And a guy that is just perfectly acceptable as a maybe rotation big. And and one of the reasons that he ends up moving up the draft a little bit is there's not a lot of these power forwards like this that can stretch the floor uh, and do a few things around the rim uh, the way that Bagley can. And because of that, he rises, even though I think right now, if you're just looking at his overall projection, he's like a perfectly acceptable power forward. I'm, I'm not sure that you can say much more than he'll defend multiple positions. He'll score around the basket. He'll, he'll stretch the defense a bit. And, and, and that, you know, that's it. And that can be enough. Uh, but it certainly seems like you might want more. At 28, De'Ron Sharp, uh, center freshman out of North Carolina, a guy that uh, statistically uh, doesn't, doesn't play huge minutes, uh, about 20 minutes a game for North Carolina. When you project it out to 36, his numbers look pretty great, uh, especially his rebounding numbers and especially the number of uh, steals that he picks up uh, for a big guy who isn't the most fleet of foot is probably the way that I would describe him. Uh, Excellent motor, plays his butt off. Um, Rebounds are going to be the things. Offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, uh, steals. He actually can pass the ball a little bit too. Actually some decent passing skills. Um, but it goes both ways. He's also been a bit turnover prone, uh, and his overall offensive rating uh, is a bit of a question mark. He, he doesn't shoot threes. He's not going to be a stretch the floor big. He's just going to be a high energy, high motor guy um, who can come in uh, and do some of, the, some of the dirty work. At number 29, it's Australian wing Josh Giddy, uh, who is moving up draft boards as maybe this is the guy that is going to be the top international prospect um, in the draft. He's he's played 14 games up to this point in the Australian League, and he, he's just a really intriguing prospect in that you know high basketball IQ. He's really intriguing in that he sees the floor well. He's an excellent floor leader for a player that's you know six eight two o five. He really does function like a point forward or a point guard. He also is a terrific rebounder, which you know at six eight. Um, you would expect, but given the position that he plays, it really sort of stands out. He's also, again, one of the younger players in this draft, which is certainly important. Uh, and, you know, defense, he's tough, and he really gets after it. It's what he's going to do on the offensive end that I think is still the big question mark as far as his shooting ability goes. He's shooting 38% from the field. He's only shooting 26% from three. He only shoots 67% from the line, doesn't really get to the line uh, nearly as much as you want a point guard. He's one of these guys that's going to have this you know, feel for the game, uh, toughness, energy, motor, great size for his position. But is he going to be able to impact the game more than that offensively um, and in a little bit in the Dacian Knicks category that if you're not going to get to the rim and if you're not going to shoot threes, um, you know, you're going to have some problems being a, a league guard in the NBA. But I think that given his age, um, given that he's already playing in a professional league in Australia, there are definitely some teams out there that say that he is he is a, one of the best prospects to watch going forward and that he could certainly become a player that could be intriguing down the road. Last guy, controversial guy, doesn't make some teams big boards at all, first or second round, uh, but has slowly creeped up and helped himself maybe more 
than anybody else uh, in the draft so far. Uh, a guy that I think was an afterthought in the G League, I'm talking about Isaiah Todd, uh, a 6'10", 205 jump shooting big man who I think many teams thought was probably shouldn't be in the G League at all uh, or was going to be a perpetual G League player, maybe a two-way player uh, in the NBA who has blossomed uh, as the season went on. It was shaky at first, got better as time went on. I think the thing that is going to project for him is his shooting ability. He averaged three threes a game at 6'10", shot a decent 36% uh, from the uh, from the field and uh, from three, and and shot 80, uh, 82% uh, from the free throw line, which is a really good number for a player his size. He wasn't a great rebounder. He needs to get stronger uh, defensively. The potential is there because he moves his feet, but his lack of strength uh, makes him a question mark. But I think the point from many NBA teams was when you compare him against the level of competition he was playing at and at the G League level, these somewhat pedestrian numbers were actually a big improvement over where teams thought he would be. And they're surprised enough that they think that he could find his way um, and continue to develop, continue to get stronger, um, to round out his game, and could end up being an interesting prospect. So he ends up at 30 on our big board. When we come back next week... We'll do picks 31 through 60 and get us a little bit deeper uh, into the draft. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.